0: I think that in Christian culture, especially in church culture, we often want to talk about how adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel, and it absolutely is. And when you research and Google Christian conversations about adoption, it's, it's pretty much those parallels, but we have to remember that his original design was that we would have a relationship with him. Jesus coming and dying and, and, you know, rising from the grave and all the things that we believe about the gospel are beautiful, but it was the result of the fall, not to mention just the spiritual warfare that you encounter whenever you decide that you're going to enter into a really difficult situation.
1: Today on the show, we have Lang and Jamie Patrick. They are good friends of ours from Colorado, but we thought they'd be the perfect people to be on this episode because we've received a lot of um, email feedback about, would you do an episode about adoption?
2: And we want to throw that out again. President at Lifeway.com is the way to request topics. And this was a requested topic. Lang and Jamie helped us plant the church in Colorado. They came out and met with us and said, we felt called to come with our family and start this church with us. And so we have very sweet memories with them, but they have walked the journey of adoption, and they have a story to tell today. Welcome to the show, guys.
0: Hey,
3: guys. Thank
2: you. Hi, friends. Well, we got to plan a church together in Denver, Colorado, and they're still in Denver, and God has called them to a new adventure working together in in a real estate environment. So they've been inside the glass house, now have a little bit of time outside the glass house, but we thought you two would be perfect to come in and tell a little bit of your story of how and why God led you to adopt and some of the unique challenges you faced along the way. So why don't you guys just launch into your story a little bit?
0: Yeah, so um, we've been married for almost 30 years, believe it or not, and all of our lives up to this last year were ministry-related, so... Uh, we're also both preacher's kids, which can be really not great. (laughs) (laughs) We're rotten. But anyway, uh,
3: house is broken. Yeah. So (laughs) uh,
0: our story is just we had um, Justin and Jalen, our two oldest first and decided we were finished having kids. And God just really convicted us of that many years ago. So when they were actually older elementary age, um, we had Jonathan, who's also biologically ours, and he has Down syndrome. So um, that was really in many ways an upheaval upheaval to our story, but also just um, God opened our eyes to a lot of things through his life and continues to. He's almost 16 now. Hmm. So after Jonathan was born, we had Jacqueline, who's biologically ours, and then... Over the course of the few years after she was born, the Lord just really began to work on our hearts about adoption. We were in a church that had a huge culture of adoption, mostly international, and um, I first was really feeling that calling just towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can speak for yourself, yeah. but it took you a little longer to get there. So.
3: It's the story of our marriage. God, God <laughs> often speaks to Jamie clearly before He does me, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was a that was a really sweet time. There were there were some. Um, Concerns that I I think were legitimate that we both had really about what is this going to mean for our family? Um, Just because you are serving in a place where there are children being adopted, you know, and God's calling on your life to care for orphans doesn't necessarily mean every family should adopt themselves. And so we felt the weight of that. We had concerns about our own capacity in marriage. We already had a child with special needs. Um, there were cost factors we were considering international adoption. Um, and then just the calling, you know, piece of like, God, is this particularly what you want us to do? And that was about a three year wrestle.
0: Yeah, it really was. And, um, through all of that, though, through a really unique circumstance, the Lord directed us to fostering, which I actually balked at mo- before Lane did. He was actually feeling better about it than I was, but um, just through some really neat parts of our story that we won't go into today, that's how the Lord directed us. And um, so we went through the foster placement through the state of Kentucky, and um, which already kind of took us out of our comfort zone. It was something that was mm-hmm. very unfamiliar to us and most people that had adopted, but Also, we already had four biological kids and in (laughs) Kentucky at that point, you couldn't foster multiple children at once, the limit was five. So we could only get a placement for one child. Mm. Uh, and so it took a little bit longer to get that placement. And ultimately, um, God brought a 10 month old into our home. And um, we actually ended up being able to adopt him, which is very unusual for your first placement to also be an adoption. And just through some really unique situations, God gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with the birth family. And um, the uh, his birth mom actually ended up giving her rights to us, which is also really unusual, but it was actually very much a gospel saturated conversation, Mm -hmm. um, which is just a really sweet part of our family's story. And then we were able to adopt him about three months before we moved to Colorado, um, to help plant storyline. So, um, that's been a little over seven years ago now. And so, um, he's been in our home for seven years. He's our caboose (laughs) and he's now, um, nine years old. So, Mm -hmm. uh, he's the youngest
2: i had totally forgotten that part of the story because i remember you guys moving wanting to move to colorado but also not not sure you could until that whole thing was legal
3: yeah we wanted to get here sooner and we but we also had been called to you know do that and whatever that meant Mm -hmm. and it did mean adoption so yeah that was a that was a big yeah
0: big part of yeah That was the last thing we'd already sold our house. We were living in someone's basement (laughs) waiting to adopt him so that we could begin the process of searching for a home here, which is obviously not always the easiest thing in Colorado. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, whenever you take on an adoption, there's so many things you don't know in terms of child, what's happened, the background, the story. What did you guys learn as you moved through that process?
3: Yeah. So, not to start with a negative, but I think I think people have to understand adoption is first and foremost trauma and loss yeah. um, mm-hmm. for the child, for that family. That does not mean it can't be wonderful. It is. But adoption represents um, brokenness in the yeah. world um, in, in the sense that it was not God's design and purpose that it be this way and children should be with birth parents. And in adoption, we see biological families broken apart that really should never be. Mm -hmm. And so that, that creates a fracture in that child's life that they carry into that adoptive family. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it impacts the child um, for life. And it impacts that family in ways that honestly we just did not understand before. I'm not having adopted, mm-hmm. and uh, I there's a there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is a really important book about trauma. And I always tell people, you know, try to understand it in the sense of if your, you know, one two year old child had a car crash and and the trauma that would ensue from that and all that they would potentially carry with them for life, it's really a similar thing emotionally, mentally, um, psychologically. And so, um, you know, we, the, the, basic takeaway of that book is we learn that trauma is not just an mm-hmm. event that took place sometime in the past and, you know, was back there. It's this imprint that, um, is left by that experience on the brain, the body and the mind. And that, that imprint has consequences for that child and the family they're being adopted into. And that's just, That's something we didn't really get, but we've definitely experienced. And is one of the difficult things.
1: I remember specifically us having a conversation with um, another family at Storyline who was going through a foster to adopt process. And um, the thing that kind of blew my mind was that you guys talked about it, and maybe you can expand on this a little bit, that even a child in the womb and barely old can have trauma. Mm. Because I remember thinking they have no memory. Like, how is that possible? And not, I didn't say it rudely, but like, it's an Mm -hmm. ignorance that I just, I haven't studied it. I don't know. And so, I mean, for the listener out there who maybe is observing their pastor or somebody who has an adoptive child who maybe has some psychological struggles is, I mean, explain how that's possible, even if you adopted them at six months old, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we've actually done a lot of reading on this recently because our child was 10 months old when he came into our home and he doesn't have any memory really of his situation before that. Like there's a lot of just gaps there, Mm. but the effect of the disruption that even being taken from a biological family causes, um, has left marks on him aside from also just the charge of neglect and the reason that he was taken anyway. But one of the things in our reading that, that we actually just marveled at too, like if you uh, research in the last few years has even said that, like, say you have a really traumatic pregnancy, even as a biological parent who raises a child that can impact your child. Mm -hmm. Like um, just from what they experience in your womb while you're pregnant, it can actually leave marks on them and they're actually finding it can cause even some sicknesses, some physical things um, apart from the emotional stress that comes as a result. So
3: So there's like intrinsic echo type memory that that kids can have. But then also as they get old enough to start actually learning about their family history, then they start experiencing loss, rejection, guilt, shame, identity stuff that is just unique to a child that does not know who their birth parents are. And that just... Creates a whole,
0: a lot of questions, relation,
3: you know, and if, if for every time, dynamics. I mean,
0: if you could, how many times have we said, "I don't know"? Like, I don't know. I don't have the answers to his questions, and and that's hard as a parent, you know, because you want to have answers to everything, and and it just leaves this gap there that you are doing your best to fill. And one thing I wanted to say is, I think that in Christian culture, especially in church culture, we often want to talk about how adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And it absolutely is. And when you research and Google Christian conversations about adoption, it's, it's pretty much those parallels, but we have to remember that the gospel is, was not God's original. His original design was that we would have relationship with him, Mm -hmm. Jesus coming and dying and, and, you know, rising from the grave and all the things that we believe about the gospel are beautiful, but it was the result of the fall. And I think we have to remember that in adoption as well. Like Mm -hmm. it, that was not God's original design. And so while it is a beautiful parallel to the gospel, there's also some really just awful things about it Mm. that you have to wrestle with, not to mention just the spiritual warfare that you encounter whenever you decide that you're going to enter into a really difficult situation. Mm. And I think for us too, part of our hesitation was we're choosing hard. You know, when our son Jonathan was born, but you know, he's biologically ours and God very clearly put him into our lives. But for us to choose something Mm. that we knew was going to be hard, also was just um, really difficult and something that we've wrestled with even on this side of it, to be honest.
2: Since a lot of our listeners are in ministry, um, let's talk about some of the unique difficulties of of doing all that while you're trying to pastor and minister (laughs) to people. You know, it's one thing to have uh, anonymity and all that and kind of quietly and silently struggle through that. But talk about how you guys, some of the hard things uh, of being on church staff with with Mm -hmm. these issues going on.
0: Yeah, so we can talk personally and then also big picture, just because I think anyone in ministry is typically a giver. Like they're just the kind of people that just give constantly. Yep. Um, they want to minister to other people. And so it's really, really hard for givers to ever admit that they need anything or even to want, you know, help or to even know what you need. So you take that into the equation initially. Um, and then also just the challenges of ministry in general, like you, you can say you're taking a day off, but if a church member calls and needs something or, Uh, somebody cancels in kids ministry and you've got to find somebody to fill their spot, like you're on, you know? And so you're really on all the time. And you put that beside a family who has a child um, who is struggling. I mean, for us specifically, we just realized we were having to be on like 24 hours a day, seven days a week because we would leave something that could be stressful in ministry and come home to a very intensely stressful situation where we were just trying to hold it together through dinner. And the amount of energy it takes to stay ahead of a kiddo who's about to melt down at any moment is just astronomical, Mm. especially when you have a lot of kids. So um, for us, that was really hard, uh, I think. And then just marriage, too. Like, I mean, you know. So, yeah, yeah.
3: you... you I mean, again, if you Google search challenges with adoption, you know, 90% of what you find is the challenges for the child. And that is as it should be. There are a lot of risk factors there and challenges, but something a lot of people don't talk about is what it does in a marriage. Um, And that's inside of Christianity and outside. Um, And the stats are much higher for people that have adopted or have a child with special needs. Um, and it's just, it's a real stressor on your marriage. And, and of course, as Jamie said, you bring, you know, ministry into that. Um, it creates a really unique dynamic. I think, I think Ben, and this, this is a recurring theme of this podcast, but there's this unhealthy shame. And and to some degree, this is true with any of us that have children or, you know, stress at home or conflict in marriage. Like we just don't, we're not good at sharing that with, with Mm -hmm. people in our church spaces. Um, really even with each other. And so there's all this unhealthy shame. And, you know, our self-talk is you aren't good enough to lead this. Um, If people just knew what I was really like, you know, sometimes, and it's really, we're just kind of echoing the voice of the accuser rather than hearing the voice of the spirit and hearing, you know, my strength is made perfect in your weakness or you have a church family who wants to bear your burdens and confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Like those are not <laughs> in the moments where you feel like a failure. It's not those scriptures that come to mind. It's the, yeah. I'm not good enough. Yeah, that's And um, it's just, you know, that shame, we hide behind that shame and we really shouldn't, but it's admittedly, it's a really hard thing to, mm. to get, get around and, and be vulnerable.
1: Can I go back to something you said you were talking about, just the pressures of parenting in general, and, you know, you go to work, and then you come home, and you're just trying to keep a nice, easy dinner together. <laughs> I mean, talk about your other kids, because I know most of the yeah. listeners, a lot of times people do have biological children and then adopted yes. children, and so mm-hmm. when you you come home and you think, man, you know, the kids who, quote, unquote, are uh maybe healthy or stable. I mean, you know, that can always change. But how are they feeling when one child is mm. getting more attention than the rest? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So
0: and that's yeah, for us because we have five, I mean, you know, there's only so much of us as parents. Mm-hmm. And um one of the things that we've encountered in our own home and I actually had a conversation this morning with someone who's an adult, a spouse of an adult that was adopted, who talked about um just the invisibility that siblings often feel Um, just because by nature, the child that is the loudest (laughs) (laughs) and causing the most disruption gets the most attention. And so uh, the siblings often are either trying to keep the peace, like they don't want to cause any conflict because there's already so much conflict happening, or sometimes they actually are the recipient of the behavior, which is really hard whenever the challenging child or the one that's been adopted is struggling and takes that out on the sibling. Um, And then you have the whole idea of like sometimes they have to become like another parent just because of all that's going on in the home and all that they take on a responsibility almost like an adult that shouldn't be theirs because Mm -hmm. they're a kid and they should be able to be a a kid. And one thing I'll say just specifically for us, you know, you mentioned that we've stepped away um, just from, you know, the being on staff at the church. And one of those pivotal moments for me was I remember being out in the parking lot, um, a storyline And was on the phone with a therapist um, for one of our kids that's biologically ours. And she kind of was taking me through the intake process. And I just remember breaking down and like crying and saying, look, like, I don't care what this costs. I don't care, you know, whatever. But she's got to have help because this is destroying her. And, you know, you would think, obviously, and again, when you try to do research on it, a lot of times it's about the adopted child and how you can help that child and they need help. But there's a disruption and a trauma that takes place in the home of the adoptive family that in many ways can almost, it feels like at times, equal what the adopted child has experienced. And that's definitely been the situation with us. Like We just knew that our, our kids, especially, and our marriage was probably not going to survive if we didn't do something radical. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the reality. And I'm sure that there are probably other ministry families feeling like this, just because we know a lot of them. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Lang, I remember a moment with Jonathan when we were at VBS. And and for our listeners, Jonathan with Down syndrome is like one of the most delightful, entertaining, wonderful (laughs) kids in the world. But he would have like some freak out moments.
1: Sensory. I mean, his, sensory. The, yeah, the the, yeah, the noise. The yeah. noise. The level of volume would I be. I remember hard. one day mm-hmm.
2: at Vacation Bible School, and the music was playing really loud. And you and Jamie were always super involved in VBS, and you had your own responsibilities. And Jonathan had a yeah. moment. And I, I do remember <laughs> seeing that shame on your face of like, oh, mm-hmm. this is so frustrating. I've got to take him out and deal with him when I have. Mm-hmm. I'm going to no. be a skit guy in three minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I do think part of being a ministry and having these challenges with children, it's like you feel a sense of responsibility to be on with the people, but yes. yet you can't because your child takes priority. Yep. Yeah,
3: and I think I think what's important you you're so right, Ben. What's important to remember in that moment is, you know, so often we're not that different than the disciples and the people around Jesus in his day. You know, they thought the kingdom was going to be this big, flashy triumphant entry yeah. right. into Jerusalem on a, you know, blazing horse. And it was always backwards from that. It was on yeah. a donkey. It was in humility. It was dying on a cross, not, you know, um, c- conquering the Roman govern- government at the time. And, you know, as ministry leaders, we often dream about those public moments of, mm-hmm. you know, Preparing and teaching and leading and bringing people to um, Christ and those are awesome and those should be celebrated. But the greatest, some of the greatest ministry opportunities I've had in life are ministering to the unique family that God has given us, and Jesus has met me in the middle of that failure as much as He has met me by His Spirit in leading and speaking at in a public platform and. Mm I just want to encourage listeners who feel isolated there alone feel like nobody knows um, Jesus sees and he cares and you're doing the greatest gospel ministry you can do when you minister to the kids in your home that, that have your really mm-hmm. unique needs. Yeah. So thanks for saying that. And Ben, yeah. this might be edited out. I'm just going to share one other quick story. This, this came to a similar moment with Jonathan. Um, mm-hmm. I was, um, this was maybe six months or so before we decided as a family that we needed to step back actually from uh, ministry uh, for this season. And we had kind of had this low level hum that it was time, but not really listening to that or each other or the Holy Spirit. And we just had this what started as a typical Sunday morning turned awful really quickly. Jamie had already gone because she had kids ministry stuff. I was supposed to be leading a membership class and some hospitality connections things. And like often happens, the wheels, the wheels just fell off at home and our kids were terrible to each other. I was terrible to our children. I spoke, Really harshly to them, and it was kind of like you know the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan, where the shell shock of all of that in the kitchen we carried into the car in this major moment of silence, and so here I am, you know, ten minutes away from having to step in front of a room full of eighty people, and I walk into um, I walked into the the copier room at church. And, um, I'm just, you know, sort of blindly making these copies and feeling shell shocked myself. And our pastor's wife now, um, Macy came in the room and she saw me and saw this look on my face. And in that moment, I kind of had that decision. Do I hide? Do I hide behind the shame? And I don't know. I was just prompted by the Holy Spirit when she asked, how are you doing? (laughs) Um, which, you know, most of the time people don't really want to know. I told her it had been an awful morning. And she did the most Christ-like thing. She put her arm around me and prayed the sweetest prayer over me. And Jesus really met us, his presence in that moment. And it didn't fix everything. I had to Mm -hmm. apologize. It became a signal moment for us of this is unsustainable. But Mm -hmm. I just remember thinking, why have I hid this at times um, and not allowed other people in to bear Mm -hmm. those burdens and pray over us? And so that was a really sweet moment. And I just encourage like a lot of your podcasts to reach out and let the people around you that know you best, um, connect and bear the burdens with you.
2: That's a really good word. I, I feel the same way. Obviously we don't have the same story as you guys, but, When when one of our kids is having a hard time, I tend to want to just really keep that a secret. And and some of that's protection for them. I don't want people gossiping, but I I can feel really alone in it. And like nobody understands and I'm over here like having a pity party when there's people (laughs) around me that would like to encourage me or maybe their child went through something similar And they're not able to minister, and I do think people in ministry particularly particularly have the walls up because we've talked about this before on the show. First Timothy three, if you don't manage your own household well, yep, yeah, so you could lose your job. People might Mm -hmm. start talking that he needs to step away. I think everybody's fear is to be fired because they're kids.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's there. It's felt. It's super there. Yes, Mm -hmm. and so it's just a unique challenge. And when you when you choose to adopt. It takes such courage because you know you're bringing on stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. You're choosing it.
2: it, You're choosing it to make life more complicated. And yet you're doing it because you feel called to it.
0: Yeah. And the accuser also will use those words back at you. You chose this. this you know, that's fault. another reason. Absolutely. And why I think often adoptive families hesitate to say anything to their friends because, you know, they feel like the first thing they're going to say back is, well, why? Why? Why'd right. you choose this? Like, why
3: couldn't you, you be happy with your
2: own kids kind of thing?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
3: Or even in the marriage. I mean, yeah. there's sometimes often yeah. disparity each other. <laughs> between, you know, there's usually mutual agreement on adoption, but there's usually one. Mm-hmm. A spouse that took the lead more than others I mean I mentioned that here Jamie was way there before I was yeah. and and you know Satan can use that and create resentment of like well you're the one that wanted to do this not me you know I mean it all comes out and what happens is it's I want to be careful to say it's not the adopted child's fault no. a lot of what we're talking about seems like negativity around the adopted child it's not their fault it's actually any kind of stress in your home. Above the norm reveals what's already there on the yeah. inside. Yep. If I have anger issues, it's just going to come out more when you introduce mm-hmm. um, something stressful into your home or marriage. And so
0: sanctification for sure. Yeah. In,
3: in God's way of redeeming um, all things and and creating beauty from ashes, He uses all of these things mm-hmm. to make us more like Him and reveal just how broken we are.
0: And so, I mean, I think for us, uh, obviously, um, identity what is our identity in? Is it in how wonderful and beautiful and put together our kids are? Is it in our roles on a church staff? Like where does our identity ultimately lie? And that's that's an area that God has really just stripped us of the last few years. Mm-hmm. I just remember telling Lang because I was just so weary and so burned out and saying like, all I know is God's telling me I have to be willing to get really small right now. You know, I have to be willing to admit that, I just, I can't do all this anymore. Mm. And that's really hard. I mean, it's very humbling. Um, And God, (laughs) so then we step away and we think, okay, we made the good decision. And now we can really focus on our family. And honestly, the last year for us has just been really hard of us addressing the things we have been neglecting, like- our marriage, mm. <laughs> counseling, lots of counseling and um, re-engaging with our kids, having hard conversations with our adult kids who are 26 and 23 now who are saying like, our home life does not look like it did when I was a kid before all these other people entered the picture and just admitting again, humbly that like, we are continuing to pursue Christ and grow and learn. And we aren't the same people we were 20 years ago, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, again the lord's just continued to teach us to be vulnerable which is very humbling
1: when you talk to other families who have adopted mm-hmm. is i'm sure this is probably an unspoken question but are they thinking this did we make a mistake mm-hmm. like does anyone ever is that a question or i mean and not in the way that it's not part of God's will but when it gets really really hard i mean i know for instance and our, and our listeners have heard this like there are times that with this move to Lifeway, where we've said, was this a mistake? Mm, just because yeah. it's hard yeah. and you just want to run when something gets hard. Yep.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And I think even for us in a counseling session, just a few months ago, we were talking about our own personalities. We're very different people, obviously. <laughs> and just how, how that works together. And I just remember looking at our counselor, Carol and saying, why do I always choose hard things? Like, why, why do I feel so, hell bent on doing the hard thing. And honestly, we were talking at that moment just about the difficulties that are a part of our story right now because of adoption, you know, and um, even internalizing that with our oldest son who recently talked to us about that and are really, really just, I'm thankful that he brought that conversation mm-hmm. to us, but it allowed us again to be vulnerable and say, you know, obviously God has done a wonderful thing and our our family story is really unique and sweet, but there's also that reality of like, man, yeah. what did we do? <laughs> there's you definitely know? a
3: there's definitely a macro level where you question that at Absolutely, times and just yeah. say, God, was this really your plan? Um uh, well, no, let me reverse that. At a macro level, I think we would always say yeah. we a thousand times out of a thousand, we would we would do it the same way. But at a micro kind of granular level of daily life, of just the ins and outs of the struggles, absolutely. I mean, there's times where not only do I question, did we make the right choice in that? I question God's sovereignty in it and push back on Him and why? Why God? Why are you?
0: Yeah, we were trying to do the this? honorable this
3: thing. Was, this is, is your this so will. Hard? This is gospel work. This is pushing back darkness. This is you know, encountering spiritual warfare. And you said you'd be with us. And where are you, you know, like that? Yeah, totally. That's sure. the reality of how it feels like a lot of days. Um, and
0: honestly, just like parenting, our biological child with special needs. And um, the child we adopted has special needs. And the thing is, like, there are no, just no guarantees. And the older your kids get, the more you realize, like, you can't control them. <laughs> There's no guarantees. But I feel like we live with an almost hourly awareness of like, our trust has got to ultimately be in the Lord and not in our situations and not in how our kids behave because there really are no guarantees. So in many ways you feel like you're free falling constantly, which is just hard. There's adrenaline involved in that fatigue, burnout, all the things. Mm, yeah. and, um, that's just kind of where God has us, you know, and there's a beauty to that too, because I think we're more aware of our need for him, but it's just not easy.
2: How can a church family rally around um, families and love them and serve them well who have an adoptive situation?
0: Yeah, and I think we can get super practical here just because of just some things that we've encountered in our own church family, which have been wonderful. But one thing I'll say first is we've talked about this some. There's so much shame wrapped up in a family that's adopted because of the way their children. Like, I have a friend who the school calls her almost every day because of the child she adopted. Like, she is constantly you know, answering the phone, going and getting her kid. And there's just so much, not only the fatigue and all that that means about the upheaval to your day, but the shame that comes with that. And I would just say, if you enter into a conversation with a ministry family who has adopted and you're seeking to help them, loads and loads of grace, you know, like, it's kind of like as a parent, when you go to have the sex talk with your kids (laughs) and you're like thinking, Lord, help me not blush, help me not like do anything that's going to let them know how awkward this is. And you're kind of like, Nervous and you, you know, because typically for us anyway, our kids know more than we thought, or they ask the really direct question, and you want to be the expert. I would just say in the same way, as you enter those conversations with ministry families, they may tell you some really, really intense things. Like, I have a good friend right now who their physical, they are concerned for their physical safety in their home on a regular basis Mm -hmm. because of the child that they adopted. Like there are some intense things happening in these homes. And Just ask the Lord to give you the ability to meet them where they are, because I will say there's often been times in home group situations and just I'll be out with ladies and everybody kind of starts talking about what's hard in their lives. And I'm afraid to speak because I know if I do and start talking about what's going on, first of all, I feel like it's too much. I'm going to be viewed as too much. And the times that I have, you can almost see people like backing up like, whoa, that's not when I asked how you were doing. Like, that's not really what I meant. So I think as a church family, allowing ministry families to be vulnerable and meeting them where they are is just really, really important.
2: Shame normally comes in the form of questions. You know, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you, or yeah.
0: what are the what's qu- wrong with your kid? What are the questions? <laughs> what are the shame story
2: questions that adoptive parents are wrestling with that we may not be aware of? Like the very specific yeah. questions that are coming. Well, in I think your Lindley.
3: Mind. I mean, I think Lindley hit the first one. Like, did we make a mistake? Was this you know, um, more than we actually can handle. Cause on, on a lot of days you feel like that. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think too,
0: a lot of it's wrapped up in parenting. Like for us, he's our youngest. And so we've been parenting for almost 27 years and we don't know what we're doing. I mean, <laughs> like everything that we would have done for our other four does not work for him. And so even honestly, within friend groups and extended family you know, you get questioned, like, why is he not listening? Like, yeah. and frustration directed at the child. And we've had massive um, counseling sessions, and we've read and researched about how to meet him where he is. And there's all these other opinions about how we should do it or shouldn't do it. And if we're doing it right, and why not? And you just constantly feel like you're failing. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the shame around that. And especially like you said, Ben, for ministry families, like it's scriptural that you should be able to manage yeah. your household well. And no, so yeah. that's always in the back of your mind in those situations. I know for us, transitions are super hard for our youngest and our adopted one. And so after church on Sundays, like I'm trying to give him food and help him like just get out the door without a massive meltdown. And so I'll just speak personally, like most adoptive families are experiencing that. And I'll say one other thing as a ministry family or as a church family, you don't know what you don't know. And that's okay. (laughs) Years ago, before we adopted, I had a really good friend who was on staff at a church, really good friend. And she had just adopted in the last few months from internationally. So there was a language barrier going on with her kiddo. And they were up in the lobby one Sunday. She was doing the greeting and everything else. And her child was just laying on the floor. The one she had just adopted, like having a massive meltdown and she's just trying to do her job. And I walked up to her and was like, Hey, what's wrong with him? (laughs) And she looked at me and went, I have no idea. (laughs) And I mean, you know, that was not the best way for me to approach her in the moment, but honestly she was pretty vulnerable back. And was like, I have no idea, you know? Um, Jamie. Just know that, yeah.
1: It's so funny that you just said that because I was literally about to say something to you that says, you don't know what you don't know. Like identical, because I just, someone just asked me to write an article for Lifeway Women about like the, the biggest parenting mistake that I've made. And I said, yeah. it's so easy to be judgmental to what you don't know. Like you don't know what oh. you don't know. And I mean, yes. and we've experienced that as we've gotten older, we've released a child to college. Yeah. We've had another child who's had some issues with deception a little bit that we were surprised by, and yeah. um, and I'm like, man, the older they get, the more I realize like how judgmental yep. we can be about someone else's situation when you don't know what you don't know.
2: I just think most—that's well, that's your so fault. Good. You're too hard on them.
1: I, that is definitely. not.
2: <laughs> it's, you know, I just, we just lighten up. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. We'll we'll
1: add some commentary to that later. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
0: For us, uh, too, I think our perspective is different because we entered the world of special needs when our biological son, Jonathan, was born. And we just always said we want to make it as easy as possible for people to ask us questions about Down syndrome. Because we knew people with Down syndrome before Jonathan was born and we didn't know, but we didn't know anything about it. You know, and I think in cancel culture, especially, it's hard to like. You're nervous that you're going to say it wrong or ask it the wrong way, and so I think there has to be grace on both sides—grace mm-hmm. from the church family um, whenever the ministry family becomes vulnerable, and also grace on the side of the ministry family who is trying to be vulnerable but realizes that that the church family might get it wrong,
1: and that's okay. Absolutely, I think it's helpful to ask people too because Jamie, um, you helped me a ton in the kids ministry, and even to clarify language, like if if the if the church members would be more open because. Um, I remember you telling me how it's it's easier to be received when you say a child with Down syndrome versus a Down syndrome child, because that yeah. kind of labels them. And so, I mean, yeah. I do think the challenge here to the people who are listening is to just ask. Like, you guys would yeah. rather be asked um, and, like, help guide us. I mean, you helped guide me to understand the language that is more sensitive around special yeah. needs. Yeah, Yeah. And it works Absolutely. both ways.
3: It's It's also sometimes us asking and not, not, you know, being so afraid of not being seen um, that we don't ask for someone to help. Uh, um, One practical way, Ben, to get back to your question, like how do do church families rally around ministry couples or families in their church? Um, Just a really practical way. We have a um, man, his wife in our church, and his name is Dan. He comes by and gets our adopted child a couple Saturdays a month. And they do everything from ice fishing to
2: uh, going to the fire station,
3: station, train, and just um, he comes from some brokenness in his home and had a real heart for that. And at first, to be honest, I think we were too prideful to want to receive that and welcome that. And as he pressed in, we allowed God to... Um, use him and to use his gifts in a particular way that has been the greatest blessing for us. Um, It's it's not only provided respite for us in a sense at times and amazing just insight and and care and mentoring into into our child's life, but also allowed us to pour into some of our other children um, in ways that
0: so I spend Saturday mornings you know, with our daughter that's still at home, and we're able to go just be together. And so the one that feels invisible now is getting a lot of attention from me, and lots of conversation, and just all that I'll say as a ministry family too. You know, you're also supposed to be um, discipling your kids and all the things. So. That gives us some time to catch up because sometimes during the week that's not happening a lot because we're just trying to keep the peace. And we've never had a conversation with him about the challenges that we face. He's just engaged with us and seen our youngest child and has just taken him and loved him well. And I think, and then also, one other cool thing he's done is he's moved up um, with our son as our son's gone to the next grade. He's moved up and is his teacher, which is really cool because there's that relationship as well. So Mm -hmm. just a way that he's seen us that we didn't even ask for.
1: Hmm. Hey, so practically speaking, um, you may not want to give a specific example. Have you been hurt by something that someone has said that was insensitive? If you don't want to give a specific, is there, are there some things that you could say to do or not, not do or not say for those listening? I think,
0: I think that's why this is so important what we're doing right now. It's it's not so much that people say the wrong thing, it's that they what you said, Lindley, they just don't know what they don't know. And who's gonna be the brave person in ministry to step out and say, hey, this is so hard, we need help. Like we're drowning. Because even for us when we, you know, made the decision to step down, as we started having conversations with other people on staff and other people at church, it's just obvious that it's very hard for them to understand where we're coming from. And part of that's our fault because Mm -hmm. we would go sit in staff meetings and put on our happy face, you know, having had a massive argument on the way there about who (laughs) did wrong and who said the wrong thing and why that kid's acting that way, you know, and we're so good at putting on those church faces and not, not being transparent and vulnerable. So there was some catch up there in those conversations of like, Hey, what, why tell me like, my kids are bad too. Can you tell me what you're getting at here? And I think, that's one thing that, that can be hard because, and I'll just say too, in school situations at the doctor, I walk in very calmly and I say, Hey, our kid is basically losing his mind right now and I need help, but I look put together. And so they're like, "He looks fine to me, you know? And I think in ministry too, we're so good at just putting on those church faces that it's hard for people to really understand how hard it really is and why I think these conversations are so important because again, Even when we were researching for this podcast, I'm like Googling and trying, there's very little written or talked about regarding Mm -hmm. the trauma that comes to the whole family and not just the child that's been adopted, but it is reality. I'll just say.
2: I really am still processing the opening comments you made, Lang, that I had never thought about. And that is by definition, trauma marks the beginning of adoption it yeah, absolutely we, does. I guess I was on the romantic side that you're rescuing a child that's going to be a beautiful yeah. story of redemption and it it really doesn't feel like that from the inside at all.
3: Yep. There mm-hmm. is all of that and it is beautiful and it is gospel. But there is a reality that you guys have helped expose today and we're so grateful for that just isn't talked about mm-hmm. and trauma's a really big part of that. So, yep.
2: I have a really random topic. Years ago, we saw this movie called Lion. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes. Love the movie. Yeah. All right. So we watched this movie, which is really about the trauma of adoption and how a family is literally torn apart. And I came to church the next day, Lang. I don't don't know if you remember this. I was like, Lang, I I saw this movie last night. I literally could not stop thinking about you guys the whole time. Yep. I'm guessing when you're an adoptive family and you see a movie like that, like that will shake you for weeks. Oh my. Yep.
0: Yeah, there's definitely like, there are certain movies now even that I'll be like, well, that's that's a trigger. Like that's going to be. <laughs> um, and even for our child, you know, like I'm not sure he needs to watch that because right. that, that could be a real trigger. But yeah, yep. that movie pretty much laid me flat. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: right.
0: And then I'll just say too, I remember you- coming to us, and it may have been after you watched that movie, but one Sunday specifically, because I think Lang was communicating to the staff at that time, just some of, in a, in a pretty general way, some of the challenges we were facing. But I just remember you coming to us on a Sunday when I'm sure you had other things on your mind mm-hmm. and being like, hey, are you guys doing okay? Like, really? Like, is your marriage okay? And I think for us, we were so, had our heads down and we're just trying to help with a church plant and do all the things that even you asking us that made us take a step back and be like, are we? Like, I think that's a challenge I would say uh, for ministry families. You can get in that, you know, fast forward drive, you know, and a lot of ministry people are type A, like just do the next thing. Take a step back, like take a step back, like and really evaluate where you are and and where your priorities are, not where you say your priorities are, but (laughs) where are you really spending your time and where are you giving your energy to?
2: There's probably some families out there that are on the edge of stepping back from staff ministry for the same reasons and are scared to death. They know nothing but ministry. They don't think they have any job skills outside the church. They went to <laughs> seminary. How how freaky was that for you guys to say, we're going to just completely step away from everything we've ever known and go into the marketplace?
0: For me as a female who had a really um, amazing role in ministry and one that not a lot of females actually ever can attain to or whatever. And the fact that I had been a homeschool stay at home mom for so many years, it was kind of like in my own natural, bent. it was like, wow, this is really amazing. Like I've been given this awesome opportunity, but the one thing that the Lord kept reminding me of is there's a lot of people that can do that job, but you are the only one that can be a wife and a mother to the family God's given Mm -hmm. you. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of um, thoughts around women working outside the home and things like that. And, um, but that was the main reason that the Lord just really prompted me. And, and a pediatrician, honestly, I was sitting in his office uh, talking again about our English child and what we could do next. And we were doing some mental health evaluations and all. And he finally just looked at me and he was like, you know that no matter what we do or what diagnosis we get, this is not going away, right? He was like, you you need to realize like you're going to have to order your family around this. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was talking to Mm -hmm. me as I left that day of like, you've got to make some changes here. I had been sick and went to the doctor. Every time I went to the doctor that, that year my blood pressure was elevated Mm -hmm. and it was just these things that the Lord was showing me. And I was just like, Nope, Nope. You know, I'm doing my job. I'm doing a good thing here. So the one thing the Lord kept also prompting me with is just, you can't give what you don't possess. Jamie, you are giving beyond your means. Um, You are not, spending time with me. I wasn't really pursuing the Lord just in relationship with him like I needed to. And I was just operating out of an, I was empty all the time. And there's just, you can only do that for so long. And as we discussed the possibility of, you know, what can we do to alter our roles enough that we can do what we need to do? God just continued to make it clear. Like this isn't it for me, it became an act of obedience. Mm -hmm. I had to be obedient and do what he was calling me to do and be willing to become small as a means of serving the Mm. people that God primarily has called me to minister to.
1: Jamie went first here and it is hard. Like it's hard on the woman when she Mm. has to choose between work and family because you love, you love both. You obviously love your family more. And Mm -hmm. so that is a really like a psychological thing of, okay, well Mm. it it is dying to self
0: It is. And I'll just say, I've even had a couple of other women in ministry that have done similar things that have have reached out to me. And, you know, the first thing I say is this really is sucky. Like it just is like, there's just things about it that aren't fair, but I will say in our relationship, and I think this is kind of probably unique to some ministry families from day one, when I had these opportunities at storyline, Lang has been my biggest cheerleader. So there was no pressure from him. Um, for me to step away so I'm not sure I can speak to that like some women would where there's just like this idea of well of course you would be the one to go like and stay <laughs> home because you're the wife you know mm-hmm. that's not how we operate and I think even in that it gave me freedom to make a decision that really was personal to me between me and the Lord um, and I knew that I had links full support regardless although after I stepped down and we started discussing how life was going to look moving forward, I did begin to feel like you needed to consider <laughs> consider that as well. Just if you want to talk well, about- Well, let me the- give
2: context real quick. So Lang was a music minister for years and then took a huge quantum leap to move to Colorado to be a church planting pastor. And yeah. then now taking another quantum leap into real estate. So like God just <laughs> continues to throw different uniforms on you.
3: Unbelievable. Yeah. I think I use the word calling a lot less frequently in life now. <laughs> it's assignment. Uh, I, I talk about calling as my first calling is to Jesus and salvation. I'm called to create and shape in this world, the, the cultural mandate and to make disciples and to, which begins at home. And outside of that, man, ministries everywhere. And I, I, I kind of had uh, one of the deep wrestles for me in making that transition out of, you know, church staff ministry into um, the, a marketplace vocational job in real estate was I had, I had counseled many people um, throughout life that, hey, you know, ministry everywhere. God's at work. He wants to use you, be glorified by you in all things. But to step away from a church staff position into the marketplace was really hard and tested my resolve in that theology. Do I really believe that? Is is our, Are pastors you know, the highest calling or is God really at work in, in every space? And I came to the conclusion biblically, I absolutely believe that he is. Um, the opportunities for us outside of church staff have been greater, honestly, Than in terms of reaching people for Jesus and the opportunity to be a witness and And um, in so many more ways than even we had. And so I'm not saying today that every person listening that's experiencing some of the things we're talking about should be, you know, moving off of the church staff position. But I would probably say a couple of things. Um, One, it might be. It might be for a season. It might be that God is calling you to do that. And he has other meaningful, God-glorifying work for you that allows you to prioritize your family. Um, Real estate for us is not an easy job, but working together from home allows us to align our schedules in a way that we just couldn't before. Um, But another reality, even before that for me, and in talking with some other ministry dads and pastors um, I think it's just a recognition that you're going to walk with a limp, yeah. And there's a degree to which we all do that, but there are um, there are some mountain peaks, if you will, in ministry, some career successes in in pastoral ministry that I was never going to achieve because of what I, um, the unique family that God's given us at home, mm-hmm. and some not related to my ability or capacity but just um, the level of which we you know, deal with things at home. And that's, that was a hard reality for me for a lot of years of just grappling with that because the drivenness in me and the desire to be the best vocationally often would mean that I would prioritize those things over things I knew needed to be priorities, either personally with God or at home. And so that is a deep wrestle, I know for a lot that's of good. ministry leaders listening today.
2: What's maybe one thing, Uh, you would say as a word of encouragement to an adoptive family out there that's hanging on by a thread? Like just one word.
0: You're not alone. You're not. I know you feel like you are, but you're not. Um, Even if it just means finding another adoptive family that you can be really vulnerable with. Hmm. Um, I had breakfast with some women last week. One who grew up in ministry, the other are um, just really involved volunteers at our church. And we just talked about how that we all felt like we were alone, but as we shared just our stories, it was so sweet to be in a group of people who really understood and got it. And I think that's not something I've made a priority, but that the Lord is really showing me I should find somebody else. Um, You need help outside of the adoptive community because we laughed last week. We all knew what each other needed, Hmm. but none of us had the bandwidth to do it. (laughs) And we just laughed about it. But Also, just the ability to be able to be vulnerable with people that really understand, like you are not alone. And I think the devil more than anything wants to make you think that you are and you are not alone.
3: And you're not alone as it relates to your church community. And you're not alone as it relates to Jesus. Um, I was just this morning um, reading again, John one and how Jesus, you know, as also an adopted child of um, mm. Joseph, his earthly father, came into this world. His own people didn't recognize him. His own people didn't receive him. Yeah. But to those who did receive him, he's given the right to become children of God, even to those that believe on his name. And I love this part of the verse, who were born not of natural descent, but of God. And so all of us who are far off have been brought near into the new adopted family of Jesus. And so When we adopt or as pastors or ministry leaders, when we encourage a culture of adoption in our churches and communities, we're picturing something that's true about God and our Father. And what He's doing right now is He's fighting for orphans, me and you, those that are biologically orphans, and He's making them sons and daughters. And that's our work um, inside or outside of ministry and what we need to be about.
1: The Glass House is a production of Lifeway. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, sound engineering by Dale Sandberg, original music by Robert Elkins, photography by Rebecca McVeigh, and artwork by Heather Bersensky. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrell. Thanks for listening.